Welcome to Spiel Chicago, the podcast exploring progressive and feminist work in Chicago theater. My name is Smyra Yan, and my guest this week is director and playwright Lavina Jadwani. Lavina and I spoke over the phone about her work as a director, as well as her ongoing project recording the number of directors and playwrights of color being produced in Chicago. Lavina Jadwani, thanks so much for talking with me today. Yeah, of course. How long have you been living in Chicago? Um, I grew up in the suburbs, and I moved back to Chicago um, after graduating um, from Carnegie Mellon in the in May of 2006. Did you always know that you wanted to be a director? I did not. Um, I I knew pretty early on that I was not a performer. So I actually studied scenic design in undergrad, um, but knew, I sort of figured out about partway through that program that, that was actually not what I wanted to do, that I really just sort of needed to be in a rehearsal room. Why directing? I mean, a lot of it is about, um, I think for me, bringing, you know, bringing people to the table, being able to center people around a big idea, being able to articulate a clear vision, but also leaving space to trust your collaborators and and allow them to bring out the best in each other and bring out the best in you. So what kind of work are you drawn to as a director? These days, I am just really liking working on anything that just makes me walk out looking at the world in a slightly different way, feeling like um, I, you know, <laughs> that actually sounds probably terribly cheesy, but, you know, that hearts and minds are have been expanded in the, you know, two hours traffic of our stage. Uh, I like it when I feel like, um, yeah, I've learned something a little bit about the world, but also learned something a little bit about myself, and that might be a new play. Um, I, have a, I have a big soft spot for, like, geeky plays about science that tend to do that, but I think that also, like, Shakespeare does that with, you know, these plays with just such humanity. What kinds of geeky plays about science do you like? (laughs) It's funny, you know, I I was just saying, like, I think that I went through, like, all of the Tom Stopper, you know, Michael Frame, Copenhagen plays that, um, I don't know, a lot of us liked when we were early um, you know, young theater majors, but I think for me, like, I don't know, there's a, there's a lot of great science plays that deal with ethics, um, and, and do deal with that idea, right, of like, yes, the world expanding and, and, and learning something, uh, you know, learning new ideas, but I think for me, like, the science plays that, and I guess, like, Copenhagen still falls into this category, right, but like, Plays that are like, here is this big new idea. What are you gonna, you know, what are you gonna do about it? Um, because I think, I don't know. That's I think what's what excites me about the world right now is, is not so much like, right, with great power comes great responsibility. So not so much like, what what are we gonna discover next? But like, how are we how are we going to to use that in our day to day lives? And are we gonna use it responsibly? I think that kind of stuff I get really excited about. Tell me about uh, some of your work since graduating here in Chicago. What is a work that you were, like, really excited to share with people? Yeah, um, I mean, I, you know, I spent, gosh, six or seven years as the artistic director of Rafika Theatre Company, um, which is the Midwest first South Asian American ensemble. And um, I'm really, really proud of, 
uh, the new work that we did there, but also just the talent that we curated, you know, primarily acting talent. Um, we, were, we were founded as um, primarily an acting ensemble. But I think even you, you mentioned um, adaptation. So I recently, they recently, I'm no longer uh, officially affiliated, but I, um, they recently produced uh, my, adapt- my Uncle Vanya adaptation and, um, you know, was really proud of um, all the actors we were able to feature, but was also really excited um, to collaborate with that director, Kaiser Ahmed, who uh, is somebody who has, you know, and it's really where I sort of got to cut my teeth as a director was just by running that company and directing uh, many, many productions. And so I was really excited to come back there um, then as, you know, an emerging writer with that hat on and to be able to collaborate with somebody like Kaiser Ahmed, um, who would also sort of had, I think, a similar path to me in some ways with Rossica. How did you like being, artist- being a, an artistic director? Oh, my God, it's the hardest job in the world. It's the hardest job in the world. Um, I don't know <laughs> anybody does it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, what I, what, I, what I really loved about it was um, being able to provide opportunities to emerging artists, being able to advocate for um, particularly writers, but artists in general that I that I believed in and felt like we should be showcasing. Um, but, oh, my gosh, it's the hardest job in the world. I'm really bad at asking people for money, so... Is there anything that you took from being an artistic director that you carry with you in your directing work now? I mean, I think you just have to be incredibly generous. <laughs> and I think, I mean, and I guess that's, that's true as a, as a director as well. I think just being, being incredibly generous and being really good at saying thank you. So I uh, checked out your website. You have an amazing website, by the way. Thanks. Uh, Jared Zimmerman. Hire him. Jared Zimmerman. Good. We'll give him a plug. And so I saw a quote that was on there from uh, the AD of Silk Road Rising. Uh, Lavina understands instinctively how to translate one cult- cultural context to another. And he was specifically talking about your writing. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? How does that play into the way that you um, adapt plays? I think for me, um, as, as both a writer and a director, like I've always been really interested in the art of the mashup. Um, of the idea of saying, like, here's a thing you know and here's a thing you think you don't, and, you know, let's smash them together and make them have a conversation. And I think for me that's, again, a huge part of that is how I grew up, right, Indian American. But also I think um, for me just the idea of, yeah, being able to to build bridges, being able to, to throw things together that you think, here's a thing you think you know and here's a thing you think you don't, and, you know, let's, let's slam them up side by side and see what happens. I think for me that's just really exciting to do as an artist. And it is, it's, again, it's how, we, it's how we build bridges. It's how we expand our vocabulary. It's how we share language. And um, that's something I just get really excited about, be that, like, here's, you know, let's take this Shakespeare play and, you know, my, my sort of final production with Rossica as artistic director was this, was this big, ridiculous folly would take on much ado that was in part a re- creative response to a, um, a, a Bollywood take on Pippin that did not feature any South Asian artists that uh, mm. I had some issues with. But also, I think, you know, feature a project that featured, you know, my two great loves and, and two genres that I believe are hugely populous um, and are meant to be inclusive. Um, and so being able to feature those side by side was really important to me 
you know, and just as much as it was important to, you know, smash Taylor Swift into Uncle Vanya and, and, you know, draw the parallel. These are, these are both breakup stories, you know. For Uncle Vanya, um, I worked on, uh, I worked on that play a little bit in graduate school, and I think for me, you know, I, I know that many people have described it as the most American of Chekhov's plays, and, and that was definitely something that I felt. Um, but I think also just I was at a point when I was in graduate school where, um, you know, my my father's relationship with his family in India had gotten very complicated, and it was, it was one of those. I was working on Uncle Vanya and As You Like It at the time and just suddenly saw those plays through a different lens because of what my father was experiencing with his family. And, and yeah, this, this, it was a little bit of a breakup. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, the database that you compiled in December of 2000, 2016. Sure. This is, this is a spreadsheet you and I collaborated on? Correct. Yeah. Um, okay. So I actually didn't tell you this story, I think, properly when we, when we connected via email. But um, so what happened was um, my friend Bill James, he and I used to run light boards together at the Illinois Mathematics Science Academy. Um, he reached out to me. This was like right after um, Mike Pence had gone to see Hamilton. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, do you have any data about um, – after representation on Broadway, because I'm in this like stupid online fight with somebody about who's saying they don't they don't want to go see Hamilton because they're taking jobs away from white people. Okay, um, and I was like, yeah, actually, I I do have the thing that you need, and I pointed him towards um, the the APAC, the Asian American uh, the Asian American Performing Artists Coalition, I think. Um, but the survey that they had done about um, actor representation in New York and was able to go like, here is the exact thing that you need. I don't love, and in the same breath of saying, I don't love this tool because it, for me, doesn't include, uh, it only includes on-stage talent, right? And, and particularly, it doesn't include directors and playwrights, which obviously that's, that's you know, primarily how I identify. So there's some bias there, but I also think, you know, I, I, I have for a long time been very frustrated that, these conversations don't um, don't look at this kind of data more more top down, right? Don't, don't include decision makers, but rather just who is who is featured on the surface. Um, and then I was like, I, I, I can do this, you know. Um, it's actually because I was in the middle of saying the reason that it, it doesn't make sense to me that we don't count this is actually fewer things to count than the number of bodies on stage for the most part, right? Unless you're doing unless you're doing a solo show, generally speaking, the number of of actors involved in the production at least equals, if not significantly, outweighs the number of um, writers and directors involved. Um, so so that's where it came from. Was I have you know I have I have bitched about this enough times. Uh, I, I, I should just go up and do it. Um, so, and at the time, gathering data about the 15-16 season, nope, sorry, we did the 16-17 season first, right? Because we were in the middle of that season and um, and everybody had already announced their season so, uh, and, and was in, in full swing. So gathering data about the season we were currently in was pretty easy. I'm currently in the middle of trying to grab 17-18 as season announcements are rolling out. Um, but that's a slightly more staggered process again, right? A lot of people are, are announcing right now, which is helpful, but some people 
either seasons by calendar years, um, so it's all it's all just a little different. Um, and I think that's actually probably one of the biggest things. Every you know was obviously asking me what I learned, other than the fact that you know the numbers are devastating. Um, I did have I did have a few uh, frustratingly this white male artistic director telling me you know it's not as bad as it used to be, and I was like that's not terribly comforting to me, but okay. Um, <laughs> But uh, but the but the big thing that I learned was that a lot of the companies that are more diverse when it comes to uh, the writers and uh, directors that they hire, um, a lot of them don't follow a traditional season model. Um, so you mentioned you mentioned somebody like uh, Silk Road Rising, you know, somebody like Congo Square are not necessarily producing on a season basis. Um, you know, I think a lot of companies are finding that programming on a show-by-show basis is is more financially savvy, but it's also allowing them to respond to the current political climate in a more immediate way. Was there was there anything other th- than that that surprised you about uh, the data you collected? Well, I was surprised that, and we talked a little bit about this, I was surprised at how quickly people were, um, like, it's right. It's, it's just raw data. And then you jumped in and did the analysis. But it was just raw data. And I was, I was surprised and continue to be surprised at how, how quick people were to be defensive about it. Like, I had one company that was like, you know, this is wrong. Where are you getting your data from? And I was like, who on your website? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what you say your season is. Even though I felt like what I was asking was cut and dry, um, a lot of pushback about like, well, why are you counting this, not this? Um, which I understand, um, but at the same time, I feel like you know the power of it was um, was that it was just one sort of pretty simple, um, one or two pretty simple stats that I was looking for. Like ultimately, I'm asking, and this year I'm asking. Um, theater companies as their announcements roll out to, um, to self-report, you know, ultimately I'm asking for seven data points. Um, and, you know, that's not, a, that's not a complete story. I totally get that. Um, at the same time, it's pretty telling whether or not a company has thought about that. Right. And, and again, it's like, look, it, that's part of your conversation or it isn't. And I totally understand, you know, and it's part of the reason that I really just presented the data raw. And a lot of people were like, well, what if you filtered by budget size? Or what if you filtered by admission? What if you filtered by, you know, ensemble theaters by non-ensemble theaters? And I was like, you can go in there and, and, you know, filter yourself. That's part of the reason that, like, I just provided the raw data. And if that's something you're passionate about, I almost get in there. Spira got in there. You know, you can do it, too. Um, but that was always met with crickets. What do you hope to come out of uh, your uh, your upcoming survey for seventeen eighteen? I hope the people that aren't, you know, that the people who are like, oh, we haven't thought about it in that way, do, because I do, and I know that a lot of other theater artists um, uh, do. I know, you know, several of us have taken pledges. You know, mine was like this season. I said I would not go to see. Um, I would not go to see plays at theaters that were not producing at least one playwright or director of color 
in their whole season. And I had I had made that pledge prior to doing this work. Um, and, and a huge part of that just has to do with, and, and again, it didn't even have to be like that particular production, just one in the season. Um, and a huge part of that is just about like where I as an artist feel welcome and feeling like, oh, well, if I'm not particularly welcome, I mean, obviously I've played that I have to go see as part of my work as a casting director. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to support, and I wanted to support organizations that were doing the kind of work that I wanted to be doing. I don't know that people are always thinking about that when they are planning their season, right? That if, if there are certain voices that are not included, that we don't feel invited to the table, you know? Yeah, definitely. Let's talk a little bit about your work in casting. How did you get into that? Um, I, I, I think because, well, when I was the artistic director of Rassica, I was, um, that was just something that I did as well. Um, and then I did a little bit of freelance casting here and there. Um, but a lot of it, you know, came from the fact that if people were doing an Asian American, um, and specifically a South Asian play, you know, I would get looped into that conversation at some point. And so I got tired of feeling like a consultant and wanted to feel like a collaborator. So just started telling people, you know, well, but hire me to help you do that. Are there instances where it's not specifically a, a play with a South Asian cast, but they bring you on? Do you do you tell them up front, like, I'm interested in bringing on diverse voices? Or is that something that they tell you? Have they sought you out for that specific purpose? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it, when I'm casting at Lifeline, you know, we that is something that that organization is is working on, right? And is what is what is so great about you know the art of adaptation, right? Lifeline does all original adaptation, and and the idea of um, you know bringing these big stories up close, you know, means that it doesn't necessarily have to look the same way on stage as it did on the page. And that's something that that company is hugely focused on right now and, and that we see a lot through my work, uh, through my casting work. And so there, um, you know, at Lifeline, we tend to be on the same page in terms of overall mission, but it's, of course, always helpful to get in and to talk about, because for me, it's, it's all storytelling, right? And so it's about, you know, which version of the story are we telling? Which version of the story do we think is most exciting and complex and inclusive and um so so in my mind in many ways that conversation has started and i guess at this point you know between um the work that i've done as a director as a casting director for other companies and you know the writing that i have up on how around i think that most people if they're hiring me as a freelance casting director sort of know that that is a a passion and a strong suit of mine and i think a lot of times are um yeah, are bringing me on board for, you know, of course, not only because anybody, anybody can bring names to the table or help you find names um, of, you know, uh, more diverse artists. But I think uh, what it, I, I think for me, you know, my strong suit is really about getting directors to think about what, you know, how they're building an ensemble, right? What, what is the storytelling they're telling through casting and how do they continue that conversation in the rehearsal room? Because I, you know, I leave long before they start rehearsals. So um, feeling like we have throughout the casting process, you know, developed a vocabulary and started to form a story 
through casting and through the people we're, we're bringing to the table that they can continue to run with. Cool. Very cool. Um, you have a ton of projects coming up. What do you, what's up? What's up next? Well, so what's playing right now is I've been so fortunate for the last year and a half. I've been working on uh, a new play called Roe uh, by Lisa Loomer. That's about Roe v. Wade that opened in April of 2016 at Oregon Shakespeare Festival and then rolled to Arena Stage in January of 2017. And then we just this past Friday opened at Berkeley Rep. Um, and that's been an amazing experience. It's been an amazing time to be working on that play. It's been sort of wild. We sort of haven't been able to keep up um, with that that specific issue in this current political climate. It's been uh, it's been hugely empowering. Uh, it's been super helpful as a frustrated liberal to have uh, and as an artist to have something that immediately relevant to pour your energy into um you know i was i was telling the company we do this um opening night ritual where we share a line of text that has meant a lot to us to close the rehearsal process and and in this case we've done it three times because we've, we've done the play with Lords of the same company three times, and uh, both the characters of Norman McCorvey and and Fair Weddington in the play speak to young women talking about Roe, young college feminists not realizing how how fragile it was and sort of taking it for granted. And I think that that was very much me prior to working on this project, and so was really grateful. At, again, talking about plays that you know open up open up your heart and open up your understanding of the world. I mean, that's, that's been huge for me uh, in the last, gosh, 18 months. Um, and, I'll, and I'll continue working on that, on, on different iterations of that play um, for at least the next year. So that's really exciting. Um, also, Romeo and Juliet, I see, is coming up. Romeo and Juliet with Catra Vista, which is uh, a cast I'm super, super excited about. And I think... Um, you know, that is, that is an example where I feel like both my, my casting prowess and, and sort of my, um, you know, identity conscious directing skills have, um, are, are really in, have really come together. And I'm just really proud of that company and the way that we are telling that story for young audiences right now who are going to, many of whom be experiencing not only their first Shakespeare, but their first, you know, theatrical event with us um yeah we're just really exciting company of people and a really fantastic um choreography and fight choreography team in general i've been asking people how the current political climate has affected your work and the way that you see your work and also what you think it means for the chicago theater scene i mean for me everything's gotten more immediate um you know my uh <laughs> my sort of uh, bullshit factor is a lot is a lot lower um and for me as an artist you know it, it it feels like my work has gotten more brave i mean kaiser and i sat down a week after the election to talk about vanya and and what does it mean to be doing this play right now in this moment that we neither of us had had anticipated and it felt like well this play is about is suddenly about survivors and about you know we must work and we must find this light we added we added the last line of the play it's light out we must work 
came out of what was happening at the time of it wasn't a line that that had ever an ending that either of us had had anticipated um and and again working on something like row felt so so necessary and so for me wanting to make sure as much as possible that it goes to somebody whose business practices i i believe and who is yeah supporting other other I, know, I was at I was at Blue Sky Bakery today, which is an amazing um little bakery and coffee shop on Lincoln, just north of Addison. Um that's like delicious but is also great about employing people who are recently re entering the workforce, um, because they may have be coming off of, you know, some kind of hardship and like that kind of stuff, you know, being just a little more conscious about where my time and where my dollars are going is something that's been really important to me lately. That's awesome. So uh, you have a section. This is the other thing I really enjoyed about your website. You have a section on dream projects. Is there one that's like super at the forefront? That's like what's like the wildest and craziest, but that you absolutely love? Um, I am. I am foaming at the mouth. I'm so excited about Viet Gone. Um, you probably I posted a lot about that play on social media. It's a play that I first encountered Orient Shakespeare Festival, but that is. Um, I believe on that list on my website and and at the top of my list of plays that I would like to direct right now. It's a new play by Cleveland. It was, I believe, published in American Theater last month in February. And um, it's a play about, he's Vietnamese-American. It's a play about how his parents uh, were refugees from the Vietnam War and how they met in the States in the 70s. And I love the play for so many reasons. Um, one is that the way that it uses language, um, Kui, the character of Kui, the character of the playwright comes out early on and introduces the idea that, um, though his parents are, are refugees in this play, um, that they will sort of speak in, in a sort of standard, unaccented English, but that the characters that we, um, that we know to be American in that play are going to sort of speak in a, in a broadly, accented, you know, hugely stereotyped, you know, I think, I think the first line of American English we hear in the, in the play is something like, yee-haw, getter, done, cowboy, um, <laughs> you know, or NASCAR, Botox, speckles. Um, and, and I think that that um, literary device is so powerful because it just flips the idea of who we perceive as the other um, in a really, really great way, but also just, you know, as the daughter of immigrant parents who, um, you know, my parents grew up, uh, both grew up in Mumbai, but, but really met and fell in love here in the States in the 70s. Um, they're immigrants, they're not refugees, but um, there was a lot about Queen's story that I just fell in love and identified with. And it's just this like, tour de force, you know, talk about mashup of, of styles and there's, um, you know, very, very sort of typical to Queen's work, wild, um, action sequences and there's a dance sequence and there are raps and it's just such a full theatrical experience. But I think also for me, you know, every time I saw the play at OSF, I just sort of wept because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it was such a beautiful production and such a strong cast and, and for that many Asian American artists to show off that range of skill sets um, was, was deeply moving to me. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's a really great play. Um, I hope it comes to Chicago soon. It's playing, um, it'll be playing up at Mixed Blood 
Minneapolis next month. Well, Lavina, this has been great. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for listening to Spiel Chicago. You can learn more about the things we talked about on this episode at our show page at spielchicago.com. If you have any questions, comments, or rants, you can email spielchicago at gmail.com or tweet at spielchicago on Twitter. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That helps more people find out about it. And finally, if you would like to support Lavina and other artists on this podcast, you should check out the artist event calendar on our website. It tells you all about the shows they've got coming up and where you can get tickets. That's all for now. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you at the theater.